You are listening to The Mallory Report, a live radio show that ventures into the mysteries of life, as well as the hot topics of the day, either political or business. want to welcome everybody. I feel, I feel good tonight. I'm not sure what's going on, so we're going to keep that going. I hope. My guest tonight is Zachary Elwood. Zach, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you, Jim? Pretty good. I didn't even ask you, is it Zach or Zachary? Because I, I see it on Skype as Zach, and then I see it on Twitter as Zachary, so I guess I should oh, yeah. clear that up. Zach's good. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm loose. I don't, either one's good, but Zach's good. So I've got a, uh, the easy question is, you, you do a number of things. You've wrote some books. You've, you host a podcast. You do this. You do that, which is amazing. I'm always confused by people that write and can do the audio stuff. Which one do you prefer? Uh, yeah, definitely the, the writing. I mean, that was always my, my main, you know, one of my main passions and backgrounds. And honestly, like the, the interview, the podcast definitely came later. I mean, I, I was never, I never would, I never wanted to be any sort of performer or talent or anything like that. And it always made me very nervous. So I, I would say definitely the writing and the, the podcast just can't kind of, I kind of learned the ropes as I went and got more comfortable with it, but definitely more comfortable with the, uh, the written word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We'll get you screwed tonight though. Uh, books about <laughs> books about poker. What I'm guessing you had an interest in poker first. Yeah. So I used to, uh, I used to play poker for a living, um, you know, solely for a living for like, you know, three and a half years as my main source of income. And then, you know, supplementally on the side since then, uh, well, before and after a little bit. Um, but yeah, that my that was how I got into it. And that was back, you know, when I was playing a lot uh, for a living, that was back in like 2000, um, 2004 to 2006 time period. Um, yeah, so that's what led into the, into writing the books, you know, it was basically like I played a lot of poker and, the materials that I knew of for poker tells for poker behavior were not very good. And I, you know, I knew things that I'd never seen written about and, you know, talking to other poker players, you know, knew, knew that there was knowledge that book and, you know, there, there were some books out there, but one of them was the most well-known one was, you know, had been written quite a long time ago and felt pretty outdated. And then there was some other stuff I thought was pretty subpar. So that's what led into me writing the, the poker behavior books, which I, wrote you know started in like 2011 started working on that stuff so it was significantly after i was playing for a living but it was more about the fact that i hadn't seen good content uh come out that you know uh i was surprised that it took that that no one had put out better books for that long basically so let's back up for a second because i, I find this fascinating that you played poker full-time for a living for a number of years had to have been I don't want to say the most nerve-wracking thing that you've ever done in your life because I don't know you that well yet, but um, it's got to be close. Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, cumulative, you know, on the cumulative level, it's stressful. I wouldn't say it's, like, stressful at any certain point. I mean, there can be those, too, but really, uh, you know, it, it sounds more impressive than it is, I think. I, I think a lot of people are like, wow, how is that? possible but when we get down to it it's like if you just at, at, at a basic level it's about understanding that you know if you just think about people there's a lot of people that can fool themselves into thinking they're good at something when they're not and poker you know professional poker players are just taking advantage of that because there's you know by and large most of the money comes from people who are very bad at poker in the same way that people are very bad at many things and they good at it. and the interesting thing about poker what makes it so profitable is that it, the complexity of it is, is hidden. You know, it takes a long time to understand just how complex a game poker is. And so you can fool yourself into thinking you're good at it in, in ways that, in ways that it's harder to do that for other things that are obviously complex, right? Because you can play poker for a short period of time and think you're quite good at it. So the complexity is hidden and you know, all it means to be a professional poker player is, you're taking it seriously and being objective about it when a lot of other people that you're playing with just are not at that taking it that seriously. So it sounds more impressive than it is, I think. And, or, or, you know, not to some people, some people are just like, Oh, you're a degenerate gambler. But, uh, for the people that think it's impressive, I think that there's that, there's basically just like, yeah, you're, you're basically just, you know, for the most part, taking advantage of the fact that many people just don't know what they're doing. <laughs> 
So uh, now I'm going to lead the witness a little bit. I'm guessing this epiphany that poker is a little bit more complex and you're just beating the odds, so to speak, and your decision to start playing part-time came about the same time. Well, no, it's it's complicated because, you know, I, I never really wanted to be a – it was never my goal to be a professional poker player. It was something I just kind of fell into. Uh, actually, like bringing it back to your point about it being stressful, it is a stressful way to make a living. Like the more high up in stakes you go, the more you know stress can be applied, and that's especially true. Even if you're a winning player, the the cumulative effects of stress are, are real. Like you know, for example, even though you know I was doing pretty well, uh, the the losses are still stressful, and it, you know, in a similar way. Uh, you know, it's hard to get over the fact that, that, that those things are stressful, even if you're a winning poker player. So you kind of get used to the to the winning and that you're kind of neutral about the winning, but the, the losses, the downswings, which you're always going to have upswings and downswings in poker. Like even if you're the best player in the world, you have significant, you know, you can have significant losing periods. So the the ups, the, the downswings are, are continue to be a negative uh, stressful factor and you just kind of get used to the upswing. So it, 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 it's definitely a stressful way to make a living, but um, but they you know speaking to the complexity side. I mean, there's people that poker is such a complex game. Like, there's no end of study you can put into it. Whether that's the strategy, I mean, because the the branching of the of the game tree is more complex than chess. Like, it's harder for you know uh, computers to to solve uh, game theory optimal solutions of of no limit hold'em than it is to solve chess, basically. It's a very complex game when you factor in you can bet anything at any time, and you can have multiple players, et cetera, et cetera. There's all these, uh, you know, wild, uh, complex game trees. But, um, yeah, so there's no end you can uh, of the work you can put into it. But I think, uh, yeah, for most people, it just ends up being um, pretty stressful. Yeah, and, and that was definitely true for me. That, that was never – it was never my goal to – you know, go to Vegas and play high stakes. Cause I kind of knew my limits. Like I knew that I'm kind of anxious, anxious person basically. Yeah. So let's get into the, the reading of the tells and when that became a, an interest of yours, how did that all develop? Because I'm sure, I mean, sitting around the table, you started noticing things about people, but when did you realize that you were onto something? Well, it, it was basically a combination of me, you know, taking poker seriously for a few years, playing uh, for, for a living for a few years and realizing that, uh, thinking that the books that were out there, the, the resources that were, that were out there just weren't very good. And, you know, and, and I was playing back in the early days of the poker boom, so to speak. They call that, you know, the, and basically after 2003 when poker went on a huge upswing and there were many, you know, pretty decent stake games that were very easy, easy because, it, it, you know, people were playing online and Chris Moneymaker won the World Series and he was an amateur. And he won the World Series of Poker. Uh, main event and so there was a big influx of players and uh, yeah so i was kind of surprised that I, I always assumed that there'd be somebody uh you know more uh, prestigious than me more well known than me in the poker world that would put out a, a book of uh, a strong book of poker behavior and uh i always assumed it'd be like a phil ivy or a, you know daniel negranu come out with some book but i think you know after a few years i i was very surprised that that didn't happen and I think basically what is like the the people that really like playing poker, which I don't include myself in that because, like I said, I'm kind of an anxious person. So I think most people that are good at poker and enjoy it just didn't have the patience to write a book about it. They were just interested in doing it and playing high stakes and stuff, whereas like I didn't have that motivation. So I think that's what led to the fact that there wasn't a, a there was, during the poker boom there really wasn't a good book of poker tales that that came out. And I think you know. You could ask around and many people would say mine, you know, are, you know, besides Caro's, Mike Caro's book, which is from like 1980, mine are the best book out there, like they're the most well-known and most respected. So I think that kind of helps explain why there was that huge gap in like respected Poker Tales books. Now, don't take this the wrong way because, well, you're not going to, but somebody out there listening may. <laughs> okay, so I guess that's why I'm preferencing that by saying it this way. But the bet, like I'm thinking about all the pro athletes, right? Like your Michael Jordans and your Wayne Gretzky's, and you know these high level stars. Maybe maybe John mm -hmm. Elway, but maybe not. I'm still on the fence about him. The great <laughs> high level stars don't make necessarily make the greatest executives and, and uh, player development people or coaches. Even it's always mm -hmm. the uh, mid level or below the guy that had to fight for every inch that he got. And I'm kind of mm -hmm. hearing that mm -hmm. with your with your journey with putting a book together because. 
well, those great people are out, you know, they're just interested in playing. I don't think they necessarily mm-hmm. care about the mm-hmm. tactics because they believe being mm-hmm. whoever is enough to beat you. It doesn't matter if you tell them or not. Yeah, no, there's some definitely something to that. I mean, they, I think, uh, you know, it, things aligned for me to be the person that did that because, honestly, I think if I enjoyed poker just a little bit more, I would have been playing it more and not, you know, focused on writing about it, you know, honestly. And there there, there is that thing, I think, too, of, you know, my, my background and or my interest in, in writing and, and being a clearer communicator was a factor in my book's success because, you know, even though, I you know, I readily admit that there's people that strong, you know, very good poker players that are, are much better at reading people than I am, but they probably couldn't communicate the the theory behind, you know, why they are doing the things they do. You know, and a lot of that a lot of it might be instinctual and I've talked to very strong poker players who talk about the instinctual aspect of it. But then a lot of them think is just not not being writers, not being communicators, they have a hard time putting those concepts in words. Whereas like that was a combination of my interest was poker and I've always been interested in, in being a very clear communicator, and I and I find that interesting too. So I think it was a combination of things. So now I've got this very half cocked question because I know this to be true. Because back in the day when I you know gathered the boys up and play, there was always one. Didn't matter necessarily who we had, but there was always one in the crowd of six or seven who had grabbed the sunglasses because he didn't want you to know what he was thinking. Is that <laughs> is that is that the most worthless thing in the history of man? wearing sunglasses while you're playing poker uh i think it's of dubious quality to uh prevent people from getting reads because honestly you know most of the reads i would use and most the reads are not related to the to the eyes i mean there are there are some eye tells but um so i mean it does have a value i i think it's a complex subject because i think um i've i've never worn except for a few times when i was playing tournaments uh, i've never worn um sunglasses I think the reason a lot of sunglasses is because it creates like an unfriendly atmosphere and most poker players most professional poker players are trying to foster a real friendly like loose atmosphere so if you put on glasses you know you basically make everybody else less friendly less loose um and so that's one angle of it but i think the, uh, one of the main values of wearing gla- sunglasses which i think you know a lot of people don't know is it actually, it's mainly about letting you study other people without them knowing, and so they don't know where you're looking too. And I, I think that's a big, a big value too, is just being able to study somebody. They don't know you're looking towards them and, and, and things like that. But yeah, there's definitely things that sunglasses cover up. I mean, I, I do talk a good amount about, you know. I, I direction tells and basically I looseness tells when you like when you make a big bet on the. River, was for some people is that they are just so loose in their mannerisms and that includes their eyes so they'll like even if their body is still that they're trying to control their body their eyes might be moving around kind of dynamically like you know glancing from one place to another and for most people that's a sign that they're pretty relaxed you know so those kind of things can give give some information um but yeah it's a it's an interesting area well that's what i'm asking because i mean I, i i well i always found it amusing because i don't I mean, I do see the benefits that you're saying, but I knew, you know, they weren't studying anything besides just trying to be that. Right. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people just a lot of people just want to do it because it seems cool. Like they don't actually know why they're doing it or what they're protecting against. And again, I'd say, you know, most in cash games and especially not so much in tournaments, but in cash games, most professional poker players aren't wearing sunglasses because it just brings a lot seriousness that nobody really wants like most people are trying to trying to make the game less serious you know <laughs> but uh tournaments are a different story so yeah tournaments and cash games have very different dynamics like tournaments people are usually very buttoned down and serious and wearing the sunglasses and the hoodies and stuff whereas cash games can have looser looser atmosphere and because they don't have an end you know and there's no there's no like build up in in, in uh, blinds and stuff but, yeah. so, so the next question is you mentioned the poker boom what, 2003-ish to now, so almost 20 years? How has the game kind of evolved through that time period? Well, that's a big, yeah, that's a big uh, area. I mean, there's differing thoughts on that, but as a, in a nutshell, basically, you know, between 2003 and, you know, 2008 or so, it was like, you know, very easy games online and, and live and 
And then you know people started getting better. The uh, the quality of the general person's play went up a lot. You know there was a lot of learning resources online. Uh, so online became tougher and tougher. I mean live is is still much easier than than online because people who play online you you quickly get destroyed online because you play so many hands if you don't have a strong strategy. So it pre-selects for, you know, you're, you're going to get crushed online if you don't have a strong strategy. So online is very tough these days. Uh, live is, is less so, but still tougher, you know. There's more people playing, though. It's a, it's a tough thing to to uh, talk about because you have more people playing on one hand than you did pre-2003. But the the general quality of play for, you know, for higher stakes especially is, is, is on – is 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 uh, larger than it was, higher than it was um, pre the two thousand three. So there's, there's a number of factors, but basically the games have gotten tougher for the most part. Well, just the number of players has to make the game tougher because of just pure luck. Well, no, not necessarily. the The number of players wouldn't impact that because you know the number of player you could if the number of players increase and they were all pretty bad, that would be great for your average professional poker player, but what tends to happen, especially online, is you know there's so many resources out there for for learning and studying, and people join study groups of poker, and uh, yeah, for for anybody who wants to take it seriously, there's so many more tools now than you know, including my stuff. There's so many more tools out there for anybody who wants to take it remotely seriously than there was pre 2003. So, so oh, last poker question. You're still telling me to fold that two seven, right? Uh, you know, uh, that's, that's, that's the word on the street. You know, it's, you know, I'm not saying you can't, I don't want to discourage people from mixing it up, <laughs> but yeah, you probably should, probably should, should fold it. You got, you got to play it once just to show somebody you're crazy enough to do it. Yeah, exactly. That's like the, the old Mike Caro, the mad genius, you know, he'd, he'd show, he'd show the, uh, his thing was all about like, show them how crazy you are. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's That could still have value in the right game for sure. <laughs> <laughs> And, and hey, if that flop comes two seven seven, I mean, it's mad crazy. Don't ever see it going. Yeah. 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 So okay, so as we transition back in the more mainstream kind of events, what got you going more mainstream? Because I know you've done a lot of work in and around this. Well, um, you know, for the basically, I just do things I'm interested in on the side. I have a I have a day job these days too, um, doing some. Um, some uh, software documentation, uh, technical writing, but on the side, I, you know, I do things I'm, I'm interested in, which is, you know, my podcast and also my uh, some investigations into, you know, dependent, uh, personal stuff I do for investigating, researching online deception, which I've written some pieces about, and that some of that got featured in some Washington Post and New York Times and other places basically just examining um, some cases of like fake social media accounts and uh, where some misinformation was coming from that kind of thing and I think it kind of falls in the same category of being interested in you know finding clues of, of, of deception and, thing, and things like that I'm, I'm, I think that's what ties all the, all the stuff together I guess if I had to say yeah I, I, I was reading this, some of that stuff you sent me this afternoon about online deception and about um that fake video that I was reading about that I didn't really grip completely because my mind was kind of numb to it. <laughs> give me give me the backstory yeah. of that because I missed something in there and it just didn't make sense. Oh, well, that, that video, uh, yeah, basically, you know, Perez Hilton, which is like a celebrity uh, gossip person. I don't really know who he is myself, but he's he gossips about celebrities, I guess. So anyway, he uh, posted some video which you know, purported to show, it seemed to show a, uh, a white woman being, uh, in a neighborhood being racist, uh, offensive to a, um, offensive in a racist way to a, a black jogger, a young black jogger. It showed an interaction between them. And so it, a lot of people just accepted it at face value and got angry about it. But immediately to me, I, I thought it was, you know, and not just me, other people did too. Some people did. It struck me as very staged and fake. So I, and I was like, I even, you know, took the chance of going online saying this seems very fake, which, you know, is always a risk in these, uh, you know, uh, heightened, um, you know, uh, sensitive times. I, I, I could have if I had been wrong, it would have been bad for me to say that video was fake, basically. But I felt so confident that was fake. I was like, oh, this is 
this seems fake and for multiple reasons and I'm sure it'll come out that it was fake and eventually it did and then I wrote a blog post or a post on Medium about you know the reasons why uh, the many reasons why it pointed at being staged you know fake uh, and I'm, I'm interested in that stuff I actually have a video film degree and I I briefly did some forensic video analysis um, you know as a as a job but uh, mainly I, I think it's my background in, you know thinking about how actors act when you're directing actors for for video, that kind of stuff that, that makes me attuned to those kinds of things that I think some people, you know, there's a good number of people attuned to those things too. But I think, uh, that that's my interest in it is, is, uh, trying to tease out the specific reasons why this seems fake or this seems staged, those kinds of things. Which is interesting because when I, when the show started years, oh God, too many years ago, um, it was a paranormal show. So fake videos and pictures have kind of always been something mm. that I've kind of uh, kept an eye on. So here we are crossing uh, paths from two different points. Uh, so how much stuff do you see that you think, I mean, obviously you called the the one out, but how much stuff out there makes you really wonder about? Oh, well, I see a good amount, and I, and I wanted to add to that. The, the, that post I put up was meant to be like a starting point of like other things I want to look at, so I was going to put them all on one post. But yeah, I mean, there's plenty of videos I see where I'm just like, you know, either it's either it seems like it's staged or, you know, and that could, that could just be for entertainment. Like in the, in this case, the thing I examined was just people messing around. Like they were just, I don't know what they were really trying to do. They're just being silly. Uh, but you know, in other cases there's, I think there's more, there can be more nefarious reasons or, um, there can be, you know, edit, weird editings, uh, or out of context things. I mean, there, there's a range of things that I think, you know, what interests me is, is how, people uh, on social media um, react in in bad ways to these things you know whether it's an out of context you know uh, clip or whether it's a edited clip or whatever it is I, I think people uh, tend to be overly certain about their abilities to um, deduce what's going on you know because usually there's so many con even for actual real video there's so much context there you know uh, so uh, I think it's uh, that. That's what interests interests me is is how people reach these over certain and often you know angry responses to things. Where to me, I look at many videos online. I'm like, well, I need more information about what's going on there before I before I reach a conclusion. Uh, but I think it's kind of a symptom of our our the way I think social media is kind of deranging us as a as a whole population is is these instincts to jump to conclusions about things that we really should you know if we were being more reflective or, or more intelligent about it, we would say, okay, we need to find out what is actually going on with this piece of news or this video. But the, the instinct or the, 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 uh, you know, the drive a lot of people have is just to reach an immediate conclusion because everybody likes, everybody loves certainty. I think is, is what it boils down to. We want to be certain. We want to reach a conclusion. We want to know what's going on. We want to, we want to have an opinion and we're rewarded for having an opinion. You know, so there's all these things that line up for, to give us an, uh, kind of a perverse incentive to to be certain or to have an an outraged opinion about something immediately. Yeah, the out, the outrage machine always is a factor. I mean, it just mm-hmm. I don't. I, I never see anybody being overly positive instantly. Like good stories take forever <laughs> to get going, but outrage, You're right about fake that. outrage, instant, instant. It's just oh, for sure. And there's even studies. There's even studies about uh, you know how angry uh, messages, negative messages, spread quicker on social media, and they, and I think that you know it's understandable because like we're wired to, you know, as humans to respond to to, to threats, you know, and so when we see the, the negative things, it, it triggers something in us, and we 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 get agitated about us about it, and we spread it to other people, and they get agitated about it, and reaches kind of new you know uh, critical mass or whatever. <clears throat> And I've got a prime example of this that happened today. Um, Tiger Woods was involved in a car accident, and the headline that I seen that they had to use the jaws of life on to get him out of the car. And then mm. a couple hours ago, I watched the press conference, and the, the firefighters like, no, they used an axe and a pry bar and pried him out, and you know, and it's like, uh-huh. well, but that headline's already been out there, and it's that's mm-hmm. the story for hours now. Yeah, you're not you're not going to see that retracted anywhere. I'm sure. Well, maybe somewhere. Right. It really. It, it, and, and those kinds of takes, you know, they, they're rewarded, you know, like they, they get more clicks and there is there is that incentive to just like run with it and, and think like, oh, well, even if it's wrong, um, you know, we get a lot of clicks. <laughs> yeah. 
even if it is wrong, we got the click. That's all that matters. Yeah, right, right. It's <laughs> yeah. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of perverse incentives I think going on with with social media or internet in general. Yeah. No, we'll we'll blame social media. Is there a social? Yeah, sure. <laughs> what social media do you prefer so we can blame it more? <laughs> oh God, uh, well I hate it all pretty much, but uh, I'm on Twitter mostly. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's definitely the kind of thing where if I didn't. If I, if I if I wasn't like promoting my stuff or feeling like I had something positive to say, I probably wouldn't be on there because I, I I do find it like I think social media for me is, it, unlike some psychological personal level, I feel like it's been a net negative. You know, um, there are obviously positives, but I just feel like it it tends to bring out the worst in us so often, and I I feel like it's got a lot of problems there. Yeah, yeah, I I, I was thinking about that as you were saying that like. Obviously, social media made this conversation happen, and it made bunches mm-hmm. of others for both of us happen, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. there's all these other conversations that we have that aren't necessarily as productive and as positive and as fruitful as this one is. So you take mm-hmm. this one good example, and then you look at the five other ones that you have with somebody about who's the best goaltender for the Penguins, <laughs> and you realize or just that- the uh, yeah, there, there's there's negatives and positives. I mean, it's like. For every yeah, you know, uh, and obviously I don't I don't want to say that it's it's anywhere near all negative. Obviously, there's lots of positives as you say, but I I think um, and I've I've actually written about this. Like I spent several weeks researching a a piece about what I saw as the the negative um, effects of social media and how it there's inherent effects of how it amplifies animosity, political animosity, and also um, you know extreme views and. I, I, yeah, I, I was really proud of it. If anybody wants to look at it, it's called "How Social Media Divides Us," and it's on my the same site, Medium, where I had the the video examination. Because I I really do, you know, I believe that it's underestimated how much these things are kind of uh, affecting us in, in these negative ways. And for all those people actually listening on the podcast, links will be in the, the show notes. You just gotta find them and click them because that's what we do around here. But. Um, Oh, before I forget, tell me about your podcast. What do you? What do you? I mean, the people who read people. What do, what do you do over there? Yeah, so that, that's a. Um, so I wanted to tie it, and I, I tied it into my, um, you know, my poker tells behavior work. I wanted to think of something that kind of tied into that, and also, you know, reflected my interest in psychology because I've always been interested in, in that. So I decided to do a podcast about uh, focused on how people understand other people's behavior, basically. So. Um, for a while I was on kind of a political polarization kick and you'll see that if you check it out, but I also have interviewed, you know, a range of people like including, you know, jury consultants and, uh, uh, interrogation experts about, you know, reading, just basically reading people in, in various ways. I, I interviewed a bus driver about like, you know, predicting the, the behavior of pedestrians or, or drivers, you know, basically just anything, uh, from a wide range of, of angles of how people use and, and predict uh, human behavior, basically. Um, but yeah, then I got into this whole like how social media is is polarizing us kick and delved into. I interviewed quite a few people who were experts in political polarization. You know, like what the U.S. is going through and how that relates to other countries and how it you know how it relates to psychology and things like that. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been on that kick. But basically, it's a psychology behavior podcast. Yeah, so I'm sitting here thinking I have a guest for you that you need to talk to because he fits that line pretty well. But I don't want to mention his name because obviously if he doesn't come on your show, they'd look pretty foolish if you <laughs> mention his name. Oh, yeah, send it to me. Yeah, please. I'm always looking for uh, interesting ideas, and I have a whole list of things people have sent me that's on my like backlog of, of interesting guests. Yeah, so I'd love yeah. to hear it. Yeah, yeah, but you'll find this one really interesting. I'll actually send you a show that I did with him, and then you'll see why I'm thinking about you in this oh, this, yeah. uh, uh, this vein. But um, listen to that. Now I just totally forgot what I was going to ask you coming out of that. That's good. <laughs> oh, well, you, you, had, you had an interesting guest idea. So maybe it was yeah, that, that's the important part of that. At least I remember that much. Um, <laughs> so let me, but take me back. How long have you been doing your show? Uh, it's been probably about two years now, and I just kind of put them out. I'm not as... I'm not as uh, scheduled or, or, or productive as you. I kind of just put it out every <laughs> once in a while when I have some have some time. But I, I love to do it more often. It's basically just a uh, yeah, kind of a passion project when I get an interesting uh, guest and I'm like, oh, I got to do that. Insanity works both ways, though. Need to remind you. 
What's that? <laughs> Insanity works both ways. It can work for you and it can work against you. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> obsession. Yeah. No, I, you know, a little bit of obsession can be good. It's it's helped me. I, you know, it's good good to have a little bit. Uh, tell I, I I see your your website. Tell I can't I see it in my head, but I can't remember what it is. Tell people where they can get your website and your books oh, too. The, while we're at this point, reading poker readingpokerthells dot com is my main site. Yeah. So. This is an interesting question. This comes from Germantown Runner. Are you surprised at the number of states that are legalizing full-blown gambling now? Uh, I can't say I'm surprised. I mean, I, it's hard for me to understand the various factors that lead to, you know, criminalizing or decriminalizing it. I, I feel like maybe – I feel like a big part of it is just states wanting money, you know. So the, whether it's – for whatever other factors are there, I, I think it, a lot of it boils down to that. But honestly, I don't I don't know much about all the various factors. I know there's all sorts of political things there and financial things. And I'm shocked in a poll that comes back to money for the government. <laughs> yeah, who could who could foresee that? No, I was um, down near Pittsburgh the other day and. Uh, the what is it MGM Grand or somebody the official betting partner of the Steelers, and I went. Boy, I should really get Pete Rose on my show and ask him how he feels about that. Mm, yeah, really, yeah. Has anybody yeah, asked him about that? I don't know. If so, Maybe somebody out there in the universe can help me. Has somebody asked Pete Rose about all this? Because that'd be phenomenal. That would be. If he could, that, that sounds like a great grab. So I assume he's still alive. I haven't thought about him in a long time. <laughs> uh, last I checked, maybe, maybe we should check that too. <laughs> yeah, don't invite him on if he's deceased. Well, remember, I told you the show used to be a paranormal show, so... It could. It could oh, right! Away. I saw that. I saw Ugh. that on your site. I didn't realize that until today. I, I was looking back at your episode or your website. I was like, "Oh, paranormal stuff." That's yeah. Cool. Kind of. It's kind of uh, de- devolved, involved, upvolved. I don't know. I'm making up words. Evolved. Too. Evolved. That might be an actual word. So we might want to go with that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool, though. I got now. Now you've got me interested. I I, I want to learn more. And if you ever have any interesting videos that you in the past or that you stumble across that you're like, oh. This is, I want to send this to Zach to see what he thinks. I'm always I'm always interested. I always encourage people to send me weird videos because I, I like checking that stuff out. So I, I've got to ask you about the most questioned video of all time, then, since we're here. Mm. You ready? I'm afraid to know what it well, is. Well, you've, you've been asked this question before. If not, if you haven't been asked this question before, <laughs> I'm just going to walk out of here. You're going to have to fill the next 27 minutes. <laughs> is that well, fair? What is it? Oh, yeah, so that's fair. The moon landing. Oh, right, yeah. You know, actually, <laughs> I was just watching that the other day. I hadn't really examined it, but I, I happened to have it on and was uh, watching a bit of it. Yeah, I, 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 I believe that uh, I believe that the moon landing was real. Let's just say that, but at the, I have not examined the video. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people involved in that. One way or the other, right? Mm-hmm. If it was fake, there'd be a whole people that set it up and filmed it and all this other stuff. Keeping mm-hmm. that secret, plus the people that mm-hmm. were you know told to keep the secret of it being real, so we're doubling our people. Here. <laughs> there's a lot of people. Yeah. I was gonna say either way we I cut t- this. There's a lot of people involved in this mess. Uh, I, I I tend to um, I tend to err on the side of thinking that conspiracy large conspiracies are very hard to to keep because even with a conspiracy of two people, you can't get people just won't shut up. So I, I tend to operate under the under the conspiracies are very hard to, to keep aspect back to of things. Po- back to the poker thing for a minute. Somebody with pocket aces, it's hard to keep that secret for more than five minutes. <laughs> well, uh, of all the of all the tells, um, you know, the, uh, there can be some some very good tells preflop of somebody having pocket aces. There's very few strong hand tells. Um, you know, it's hard to get strong hand tells, but Preflop with pocket aces, you can. There, there's a good number of tells there for for a lot of people. <laughs> Probably playing off all the chips is one of them. I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say that because they're thinking about going all in instantly. Yeah, there's a little, there's a lot of loose behavior, like somebody that that was very still and buttoned down. Preflop will, uh, you know, with most hands, with almost all their other hands, but you give them pocket kings or pocket aces, and they they get a lot more loose in their mannerisms. You know, when they're when they're raising and looking at you a lot more and, and those are kind of behaviors like you, you don't, you know, if they're like 
you know, raising all in or something preflop for, for all their chips, it's like they, they wouldn't act in those loose ways with any other hands. Some people, you know, obviously I'm not talking about everybody, but for the people who, who have those kind of tells, there can be some, some major imbalances for, for those hands. Yeah. So I'm going to shift a little bit here because I, I want to ask you about this, but there's no smooth transition to this. So, um, of course, with COVID, we've all been doing more Zoom meetings. I'll say the brand name. I was going to say virtual meetings. <laughs> I think Zoom's won this. I think it'll be, always be Zoom, no matter what it is now. Um, kind of like Xerox. Um, mm. But now now you get all the people on the screen, right? Before, if you were in a room, they'd all be around the table. So, just like in poker, it was much harder to read the room because you're trying to look at everybody. But now, you're looking at everybody because they're all in front of you. Mm. Mm. This is interesting because I can during meetings you could see who's actually engaged and who's now actually just not paying attention anymore. So yeah, go ahead. And I think that's uh, that's the uh, I think that's what's so tiring about you know the Zoom work meetings. You know, you hear people talk about how tired. You know, one of the factors is you you just always are are on display, or at least you think you're. You know, you might be being watched, so you always have to keep up your most like perky. Uh, attentive self, you know, and I think that's what's so exhausting about it, you know, and, and it's much more, besides the, the lag and the various other factors of it, I think that the fact that you're always you know, aware of that you could be being watched just kind of wears you out, whereas, you know, like you said at a, at a regular in-person meeting, you you have moments where you know, like, no one's glancing in your direction, you can kind of relax a little bit Worst case, you turn yourself into a cat <laughs> Yeah, the judge <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I feel like that is a, you know, or a go, you know, just just hiding your face. I feel like I feel like people should do that more on these meetings because I feel like I've heard people, you know, getting stressed on these these meetings getting worn out. It's like, well, just I think it's okay to, you know, if you've been doing a lot of meetings, just turn your video off. The the audio is fine. Yeah, I I've kind of adapted that like I'll have it on for a little bit so people can see that it's really me because for whatever reason, mm-hmm. like the voice doesn't give it away, but whatever, and then turn it off just because. Mm-hmm. I like that etiquette. Yeah, I mean, it gives you the validity to know know I'm there and actually, or was paying attention to you for a few minutes, but then. Well, get, and honestly, yeah. like you know, you you might you might relate to this. Like, I if if I was doing my podcast, I, I have to do my podcast audio. Like, I I feel like I I wouldn't I wouldn't be good at interviewing people in person, and I wouldn't be good at interviewing them with a video chat because it's just too many other uh, there's too many other things in the bandwidth and like I, I honestly think like yeah I wouldn't be I feel like I'm a good interviewer audio online but I wouldn't be a good interviewer in person because I just I feel like my mind gets distracted with all this you know the stuff that's not important like the the in-person uh, you know the, the physical stuff you know the the physical interactions or the the mannerisms and the, the, the need to make eye contact and stuff like that whereas like yeah, I don't know if you can relate to that at all, but oh, no, I feel I like can. it makes it much easier to be a be a strong interviewer online. Yeah, because for well, for years I didn't do I do have a video feed of me going for those four people, and I say hello to each one of them individually right now, um, who watch the video feed because mm-hmm. it, I don't look at them. It's a byproduct mm-hmm. that just kind of goes because mm-hmm. I have the ability to do it. Uh, but mm-hmm. you know, trying to get people to coordinate videos, and then you're kind of trying to make sure you're square because they're square, and you're trying to be that CNN type so you all look good and all the time. <laughs> right. Fix some of my hair because it's kind of gross at the moment. Um, <laughs> right. Because that 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 whole other element. So you're distracted mm-hmm. by that, and you're distracted by this. And then I'm doing this live, so I have a chat room that I try to pay attention to to kind of manifest some of that good stuff because people mm-hmm. come to listen. And if, mm-hmm. you know, there, mm-hmm. here's this whole dividing. How much can you? Because then, then my eyes are shifting between point A and point B, and it looks like I'm not paying attention and I'm not listening. But of course, I'm listening. I'm multitasking, or I'm over here scribbling right. notes. A whole different direction. It looks looks like I'm a caged animal mm-hmm. at points, just fighting myself because I am <laughs> just fighting myself. It's ugly. Uh, so yeah, I totally appreciate that. There's just so many factors. Yeah, there's just there's just too many too many points to to pay attention to, and yeah, but yeah, it's it's definitely a it's it's definitely an extra skill to be able to keep track of all that stuff too, in addition to uh, the audio. Yeah. And then I, I have to, you know, you mentioned doing it live in person, and I always joked about doing it as a stage show, right, with just me and that person sitting there. But then here I am again, like, 
I'd be missing that dynamic of those people chatting away, and where would I, you know, and I'm sitting here with my notepad scribbling too, and that's not a good look. You should be able to remember <laughs> stuff for five minutes. <laughs> right, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that the internet has helped us become interviewers. I couldn't, I couldn't do it without the internet. And it also has allowed us to expand outside of our bubble, right? Because I don't think, if you had asked me five years ago, would you be talking to a former poker pro? The answer probably would have been no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it's it is pretty amazing. Yeah, and I'm sure you have some of those similar things where you have an interest in something, and now you get to pursue people, um, jury consultants, and this, that, and the other, which makes your knowledge and your when you go to write something. Hey, now you have a deeper pool. If you need a quote from somebody, you can go say, "Hey, can you give me a quote about?" Mm-hmm. And now you got it. Yeah. No. That. That is, yeah, it's definitely an amazing age we live in because I've talked to so many people that, you know, I wouldn't have been able to talk to before, including, you know, quite well-known people and and some impressive people that I was honored to talk to. And just, yeah, it's kind of amazing how easy everyone is to reach these days. Most everyone. (laughs) Some people, yeah, within reason. Yeah, it's just a 90, 90% of the, the population is an email away. Yeah, the other 10% yeah, yeah. are 15 emails away. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is fascinating to me. Because then, <laughs> then you get to talk to, you get to talk to them and they're just a normal person and, you know, it doesn't seem to connect with them that they're isolated. <laughs> well, I think, uh, you know, the nice thing is people do love to talk about what they're doing. Like I've had people, on my podcast where I'm like, you have nothing better to do than than come on my podcast. Uh, (laughs) But I think, you know, understandably uh, people love to, to talk about what they're doing. And if it reaches, if they can reach a few more people and they think their stuff's important and they can reach a few more people, then I think most, a lot of people are are down for it. Yeah. Yeah, Well, especially if, if they know your niche is what your niche is and you, they kind of factor into that, that that could be getting them to a whole nother crowd, which is what I find phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's that's true. It's it's all these it's all these niches and, and various audiences. Like I have a good number of poker players. In my ass and, uh, yeah, it's all these overlapping uh, niches. So throughout this all, through the, through the writing, through the podcast, through the the poker playing, what's been the one thing overrides that kind of just has been that lesson that you learned through all of it? Oh geez, uh, uh, like poker and just life in general, or yeah. Uh, well, I do. You know, the thing I always come back to with with everything is you know, is is that humans um, have a a drive to be very certain about things. Like we we really want certainty. You know, we we strive for it, and we and un- uncertainty and, and ambiguity really make us uncomfortable. I think. And I think that, you know, whether we're talking about p- poker where people you know, have a need to see themselves as strong players even when they're not, you know, and they lose a lot of money that way, or whether it's just people overreacting to things online, I think it all comes back to people's uh, need for certainty, that desire for certainty. And I think that's, to me, is is humanity's biggest failing across the board because we require, we want certainty so much that we're willing to you know, uh, just be our worst selves, uh, to, to get that certainty, you know, whether it's, you know, confidence that this, you know, extreme way of viewing, viewing the world is, is right. Or whether it's confidence that we can quickly reach a conclusion about something that's very complicated. I I think, I think it just, it's the reason we go down so many bad rabbit holes, you know, and I think even for like, people doing horrible things too i think a, a big part of that is you know us wanting to be certain about this uh or the world that we've built for ourselves our existential you know frame of the world you know and, and if that if that frame is threatened you know it can make us do horrible things you know uh and i think it all comes back to that to that stuff for me so i used to think that the social media platforms were beyond repair and beyond hope for actual civil discord and you know, good things, right? And then a strange thing happened. 
right? Which is which it blows my mind still when I think about it. Which is the Bernie memes, right? You know, Bernie's sitting everywhere, <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> right across the board. It did. I mean, political party didn't matter. They had them everywhere, right? Because mm-hmm. for one fleeting moment, well, at least probably about a day, I I enjoyed the internet again in the way that I haven't in quite a while, and I thought maybe, <laughs> right. Maybe we could get a bunch of these days and string them together and the internet will be a happy place again. But, of course, it didn't work out that well. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. It's like we, when, when the internet said it's best, you know, it's it's doing something kind of goofy that we, we can just enjoy lightly, you know. And that, yeah, it reminds, it reminds you of the good old, the good old days when, when things were simpler and uh, you could just laugh at something goofy and not have any require any deep context for it or be afraid of, you know, something bad happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and then you fall down that rabbit hole of trying to find the most asinine place he was, right? Like you, you know, you start looking for them <laughs> and you go, I'm pretty sure he showed up in every small diner across the country. <laughs> As everybody continues yeah, to use them. Everywhere. Yeah. Right. So the other of course, I'm not sure you're in this, but I bet you have a take on it. The Bitcoin and all this cryptocurrency stuff. Because it's going to be interesting. Oh, God. Uh-oh. Oh, God. I don't know. You don't know? I just don't know. I don't know anything about it. I mean, I, I, I feel like that's another area where everybody wants to be certain and have a have an opinion on, the, on that, you know? And it's like, I would have to study that topic for, like, weeks or months before I had, felt like I had an educated opinion but I see so many people like in the public community and, and, and elsewhere where they have formed these confident, you know, viewpoints about uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And I just, you know, I, to me, I just, I, I would need a lot more information. I mean, it's a complex, I think that nobody would, you know, nobody involved in it would deny it's, it's complex, but I, 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 yeah, I just, I don't have much of an opinion. <laughs> no, that's good though, because you're probably the one person who has much of an opinion on it, which is good because <laughs> it seems everybody has their hot take and they have their favorite and it's just, I don't want to say out of control, but it seems again, it's so polarized anymore about everything that you either are or not. <laughs> Yeah, I can't relate to that stuff. I mean, I read I read that 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 content on 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 uh, social media about all these strong opinions about all this stuff. And I'm like, where where are you getting all like where are you getting all this confidence? Like, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. And does ever anybody ever admit they're wrong? Just asking hypothetically. It's, Just it's a, you know it's a it's a it's a lost it's a lost art. <laughs> um, <laughs> Actually, that's one of the things I talk about in my social media. There was a very interesting study from um, like the 1950s, a respected psychology study that it was about, you know, just just the act of writing something down uh, made you stick to that uh, thing you've written down more, that, that, that belief. And that was even for people that didn't show that belief to anyone else. Like even if they just wrote it down as study, uh, they were more committed to it. And, um, also, but for the people that, that, that was made public where their written statement was made public, it was even more a factor. So, you know, that, that was one of the things I led with in my piece was because and I, I was apparently the, the first person to link that to social media. Surprisingly, I was really surprised that I have talked to a good number of, um, social media researchers and political psychologists who had never seen that linked to the study before the fact that. We're constantly have you know we're constantly in the act of writing things down online, and what is that? How is that having an effect on making us stick to our guns more for all these things that in the past would have been like passing thoughts or passing conversations, and now we're like we're writing it down in email, we're writing it down on social media. People are insulting us about our viewpoints, which makes us stick to our viewpoints more. You know, it, it's all. I, I think that's a big factor there too, is in, in people being more certain these days for things that they really shouldn't be certain about. That's an interesting thing, because I sit here thinking about the list that I write myself all the time because I need to do X, Y, and Z. And often I never come back to that. Well, I do come back to that list days later. And after I've kind of done two of the three or, you know, things on the list, and it's like, oh, so tear that one up. And then the first few things are the things from the previous list, hopefully, you know, mm-hmm. double down and try to get them done. And I never really thought about that, but that's the kind of that same principle. And then I think about, as you're saying that, about how people are posting things all the time online. 
enforcing their beliefs mm. and it becomes interesting. About yeah, I think it's 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 basically like making us more set in our ways, more you know, set in we're kind of like building these these hardened uh, worldviews around ourselves, you know, with social media and yeah, and then like the, the the role that insults play, you know, that's a big factor too is like when you get insulted for something, you're you're instinctually, you know, psychology psychology studies have shown you're going to be more likely to stick to your guns once you're insulted about it whereas like, you know, the more mature thing to do would be well I, I can change my mind if somebody shows me uh better information or i or i can admit i made a mistake but i think you know as humans we you know i, I think everybody can relate to that we we have that urge to double down to defend ourselves but we and we have to take that step back to be like well wait why am i defending myself can i admit that i was wrong can i admit that i phrased it badly etc cetera, etc cetera. i'll never admit that i was the worst history in the host <laughs> of medium that was my first youtube <laughs> comment by the way and um Sorry, still here. Well, what was it? What, what was your? What was your? Uh, what was <laughs> your worst you one? you are the worst history in the host of the the host of media anywhere ever. <laughs> Whoa, that's a that's a strong one. Did yeah. did it make? Did it motivate you? Apparently, because I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're still going. That's the only reason you're still going. Just could here. be actually. Because <laughs> <laughs> if it would have came out the other way, I would have been like, oh, I've made it. I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, you're the best. Well, I quit then. Yeah. Right. Hey, I've long said that if I ever do a perfect show, you'll never see me or hear from me again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pete, yeah, well, you know, why, why continue? Yeah, it's like, That's it. That's Last it. one. Right. Pete, walk, off. walk off. <laughs> of course, well, I'm my own worst critic, so I don't know how that works. Mm. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I hear you on that. I'm I'm still fascinated by this whole putting every thought and feeling we have out in line, as because you, you just kind of mentioned that, and as it kind of rattles around my head, I find myself today putting a lot less out there, which I'm wondering why that is. Like as I'm mm. evaluating my perspective, burst off what you just told me, and I don't think it has anything to do with wanting to be right or wrong. It just seems like I don't feel that what I say or well, what I say, or post, or however you want to phrase that, makes a whole bean of difference to anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that is. I mean, I, I think the more you use social media, there is that feeling of, like, am I just, A, am I not adding anything productive because everyone's saying the same thing about these these topics? B, am I just adding fuel to the fire in a way that is just, you know, animosity or political polarization or whatever. And I feel like the, the longer, the more I've thought about social media uses, the less I do it, you know, the less I do it, especially on like hot button topics, because it kind of feels like, well, I'm just, if, what is the point of me posting something that a million other people are posting, you know? Um, and so I think there's, I, I think the more you think about these topics, it, it naturally leads, or just the more you, you know, naturally as you've you know, seeing an action probably, and you have that feeling of like, well, what am I really accomplishing? I, I think there is that lessening of, of using it, you know, or you use it for different purposes. It's like, use it for, you know, you use it differently, basically. Yeah. And, and don't post as much. I definitely don't post as much as I did a few years ago. So can I get you on board with my uh, presidential campaign suggestion? Here it is. No campaigning before July 4th. None. We'll move the mm. primaries back and everything because with the digital age everything's around the world anyways it's not like the old days when they have to send a newspaper reporter out and get the one picture mm. yes yeah well uh, I uh, you know if you if you send me a petition I'd, I'd sign that I originally said Labor <laughs> I originally said Labor Day and somebody convinced me that might be a little too close for comfort but I mm. I'll, I'll back it up to the 4th of July just to make everybody feel a little bit better like everybody still has the time yeah. but then, then they would just, they'd probably just get around it with all these like shell groups that would be like advertising in other, you know, ways and fi finding a way around it and stuff. Well, they're already doing that, so that's the thing. Yeah, like, it's, <laughs> like, billions and billions of dollars are spent on, on advertising mm -hmm. for something that, what is it, 85, 90% of people already have made their mind up as soon as the people were decided. Oh, yeah, actually, on that topic, you might really like a podcast interview I did of a political scientist, Dave Karp where he talks about basically, you know, in conflict with what many people believe, political advertising, political campaign advertising is pretty useless. 
and he talks about why, and it's c- kind of goes against a lot of people's you know perceptions of that. It was really that was a really interesting talk. And he talks about the Cambridge Analytica stuff, where a lot of people, it, it, in his his opinion, and many people's educated uh, people's opinions, that was really overblown because Cambridge Analytica and their opinion basically lied about their ability to sway people, basically, and exaggerated you know as many you know marketing agencies do, basically. <laughs> Not market agents overselling themselves. Oh, stop it. Yeah, or, or, yeah, any, or any company. Yeah, basically, basically almost any company, yeah, overselling themselves, their, their abilities. I will say this. I have watched more YouTube in the last month than I did probably in the four months leading up to the election. Just mm. saying, because I got tired of all the political ads. Like, every time I watch a video, like, oh, every yeah. video, it was right. trying to have a jam session, and the next thing I know. Did you know yeah. fracking? No, I don't care. Uh, yes, I know I live in Pennsylvania. I know fracking's an issue. Thank you. <laughs> oh, so many, so many commercials. And then I, I found myself intentionally searching Google for f- misleading yeah. things just so I could try to get other ads. Like, it was bad. Now my social profile's all out of whack and getting all kinds of weird stuff. But that's okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, so, again, tell people where they could find... Uh, your website, your podcast, all that fun stuff before we run out of time. Yeah, if you go to readingpokertells.com, you can find everything there. My my PokerTells stuff, my podcast link. Uh, I'm on Twitter at a poker player. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Um, people who read people podcasts was the name of the, the podcast. Uh, yeah. Good stuff. Zach, so one more question here, right? So we've we kind of run the gamut of reading people and 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 all sorts of settings, and talked about film and how you know especially how things can be doctored up one way or the other, right? From misleading to having actors. What's the one thing that we need to watch more closely when we're looking at social media posts and trying to decipher, especially if we're trying to decipher is this a real post or is this somebody just seeking attention or all that fun mm. stuff. Well, that's a broad one. Um, if, if, are you talking about videos or just posts in general? Well, videos, because I think that's per, pretty fun. Ah. Yeah, well, yeah, actually, that's a. it's funny you say that, because I just, when I posted about that video analysis, somebody pointed out a really good, um, somebody responded with a really good quote from Bob Saget, which was, you know, he used to host American America's Funniest Home Videos, and somebody asked him, you know, and they, and they would get a lot of fake stage videos that they wouldn't want to put on it for obvious reasons. And somebody asked him, like, what are, what are the signs of, uh, you know, a fake um, a stage video? And he said, the camera is always in the perfect spot, which I thought was a good encapsulation of uh, stage videos in general. Because just naming a couple I've seen recently, including the one I analyzed, the you can tell a lot about how they stage the shot. You know, like a, somebody trying to stage something wants you to see what they want you to see and they will stage things in very clear ways whereas like real video on stage video there's a lot of usually some ambiguity something happens off screen something's not clear whereas like you know for example this one i saw on instagram the other day was a uh, you know a cop a, a cop choking on his gum on the ground and somebody uh you know getting the handcuff keys from him and then like giving the heimlich maneuver to the cop from to the cop to save his life and i was like this is so phony at one point the cop you know coughs up his gum right on the on the hood of the car you know so it's you can tell a lot about about the how they want you to see everything how they have the camera in the perfect spot to see everything because they want you to see everything whereas you know real videos are seldom that clear there's a lot of context missing or or ambiguity zach great point i have to cut you short but hang out with me for a minute as the outro music plays okay i'll talk thanks a lot jim Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mal Report. Stay tuned for details on saving money at the Duck Pond Shop. I hope you enjoyed this report. Please subscribe so that you can join us again. And if you appreciate the show, leave us some stars or a review. For more notes from this show or other great shows, check out Mallard.com. A reminder, the views and opinions of the show are those of the host and guests and do not represent any sponsors, affiliates, or any other partners of the Mallard Report. Now for your money-saving tip. Promo code Mallard at checkout of duckpondshop.com where you can get your t-shirt, coffee mug, and other great products. That's promo code Mallard at checkout, duckpondshop.com. Until next week, stay safe and keep whacking.
In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It was not bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. 